Welcome to Method in Madness and today we talk about failures. Not just any failure but productive failure. My guest today is Manu Kapoor who is a professor, a scientist and also a fantastic speaker. Manu holds the professorship of learning sciences and higher education at ETH Zurich, Switzerland and directs the Future Learning Initiative at the same institution. Prior to that, Manu was a professor of psychology studies at the Education uh, University of Hong Kong. He's also worked in Singapore. But what makes him special is that he conceptualized the concept of productive failure. Today, he's going to discuss with us what is productive failure and why and how it is one of the best ways of learning. Time to oomph up the madness quotient of this show because today is all about failures. This is Method in Madness. Welcome, Manu. Welcome to Method in Madness. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you. Manu, Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Now, when I started Method in Madness last year, one of the topics that I really thought uh, of addressing is failures because mm-hmm. a lot of people feel shy to talk about failures and uh, through this podcast i wanted to talk more and more about that but then when i googled you and i have known uh, of your top tech talk as well where you talk mm-hmm. about productive failure mm-hmm. i was very very intrigued you are not only uh, somebody who uh, supports it but also endorses it so would you like to tell us what is productive failure Sure. So productive failure is about designing, intentionally designing for failure in initial learning. So I look at it's uh, I look at a phase of learning when you first come to understand something new. You know, so how does that process look like? So that's the science part. And the design is how do you design for that process most effectively? Now, typically, uh, you know, for the better part of our history, the design has been, well, if you don't know something, I will just tell you exactly what it is. Uh, whereas uh, we found that to be quite suboptimal and a lot of research has shown that. So productive failure sort of starts with the, the idea that before you tell somebody exactly what they need to understand, you need to first prepare them to be able to understand that thing. And I think that's where failure comes in. So if you intentionally design for failure uh, in the initial learning, then that failure helps you understand the the correct, the canonical understandings later on a lot better. That's how you turn um, you know, failure in initial problem solving or exploration into something productive. And that's what I call productive failure. And uh, and you think, uh, because I, in your TED talk, you said this is one of the most effective ways of learning. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, like you said, you initially fail, you learn from your own mistakes, and then you can apply it. You still uh, convinced that this is one of the strongest and the, one of the best ways of learning instead of somebody telling you what's the right answer? Yeah, so the convincing really, it's not a, it's not a matter of opinion. It's not a matter of belief, whether I believe or whether I'm convinced. The convincing really comes from the science. You know, when I started uh, productive failure research as a doctoral student that, um, you know, 18 years ago, there was hardly any research in this area, um, you know, but over in the past 18 years or so, uh, past two decades, let's say, you know, uh, we did a meta-analysis recently that looked at 160 over experimental comparisons comparing productive failure with 
the more traditional direct instruction, regular ways of uh, learning. And we found a very strong and robust effect uh, in favor of productive failure. Uh, in fact, the average effect of productive failure was twice that of traditional learning <laughs> instruction. And if you carry out productive failure well, then it can be up to three times that. And that is a huge effect. So I just want to emphasize that there's a lot of scientific research, 30 to 40 PhDs that have been done behind this uh, body of research. Absolutely. Have you tried that on yourself? Have you also seen that uh, that uh, any time in your life when you struggled with something and then you've failed and that was actually the cornerstone or the starting point of learning something new, learning something great? As well, we've all been through that as children, okay, when the way you learned your basic motor skills or your basic development happens, it's in stops and starts. So productive failure is built into the basic mechanisms of growth and development. So it's not just me, everybody's gone through that. But personally, I mean, I used to play football, I wanted to be a professional football player, and there even the philosophy of training was built around failure. You know, you push yourself to the limit, and then just when your body buckles, you push a little bit more to get to the, uh, what I uh, what I say is the other side of failure. You know? And then I'm now a scientist. <laughs> so science is uh, really about uh, encountering uncertainty and failure. We always seek to understanding that which we do not know yet. And when you're in that space, you're bound to try out solutions, whether it's, you know, testing theory or designing things or designing instruments. You know, you're constantly in that zone where things are so challenging, so uncertain that you're bound to fail. And uh, that's just the way of life. One thing I've noticed in, in, in my, especially in the first jobs that I did in very, very competitive mm. banking and investment banking environment mm. is that people say you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. And if in your first impression, if you, if you are found as somebody who's making mistakes mm. or who's not seen as the, you know, the, the person with the 24 carat ambition, who's, who's flawless, perhaps mm. you're often, you fear, and I'm not saying it's the truth uh, that you're often, you're afraid that you will be grouped as a non-performer because you made a lot of mistakes. Mm. Do you think uh, to embrace uh, this way of learning through productive failure, corporate, especially the, uh, the competitive ones need to embrace a new style of, uh, management and way they approach, uh, say, new hires or graduates uh, these days? Yeah, so let me first disambiguate different kinds of failures. I mean, there are failures due to sloppiness, laziness, incompetence, lack of being careful. You know, those those kinds of failures. We're not talking about those kinds of failures, okay? We're, we're talking about the kinds of failures where people are taking on challenging problems, challenging tasks, and then giving them the right amount of space and support to be able to explore uh, these spaces in a way that they can maybe come up with some solutions. And it's if people are put in these kinds of challenging um, uh, tasks and to solve challenging problems, then failure would is bound to happen. You see, and. What I want to get an assessment of whether you're joining a corporate or whether you're joining my lab is how comfortable you are being in that zone. And that to me is a fundamental assumption if you're doing a PhD. Can you be comfortable being uncomfortable? Because you're going to be a lot uncomfortable, uh, you know, and failure is going to happen in that process. So a big lesson for, I mean, one of the big lessons for, uh, and I work with corporates and businesses as well, is you know, failure. 
doing something like this is about cultural change. It's about creating the safe space for people to explore uh, solutions to problems that you have and trusting uh, your employees to, to be able to take on those challenging tasks, but then also providing the support and safe space to explore. Depending on the type of industry you are in, uh, you know, there's always a trade-off between the exploration and exploitation of things. Uh, and, you know, um, there needs to be a good balance that uh, needs to be made. Uh, like I said, it's different for different in industries. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, one of the things that a lot of companies miss is what I call when it comes to innovation and creativity is the power of the novice. <laughs> you know, we hire the best people, the best brains, and when they come into the company, we tell them exactly what to do. This is our way of doing things, which is such a shame because we should be asking them, you know, have a look at what we're doing and tell us from your, un, uh, you know, um, uh, uncorrupted, <laughs> your uncorrupted eyes, you know. Yes. Uh, what is, uh, what are we doing? What can we do better? What is stupid than what we're doing? What is silly? What is something that can be improved? I think we waste a lot of that incoming novice eye. Uh, and in other organizations where we work to uh, design those initial training systems that help not just the people coming in, but also organizational processes and structures that eventually affect innovation uh, in that area. So th there are a number of things that uh, people I, I, do. I'm, I'm curious to know because it's such an interesting topic. How did you get interested in this topic? Do you, uh, what triggered your interest in, in, in this topic? And uh, was there a moment when you felt, aha, this is something I want to explore because uh, this is still pretty untapped and this is something I can help with, or this is the problem I see in, in the world and there's something mm -hmm. I can solve. Do you, did you have a, what got your interest in this topic? I don't think there's a linear answer I can give you. I can only make sense of things on hindsight, mm -hmm. you know, and um, it's just a process of, you know, as, as doing a PhD and I was teaching beforehand as well. Um, and one of the problems that I took from the teaching days, and most teachers can probably relate to this, is that, you know, you teach somebody, you try to explain something to somebody very clearly, and they seem to understand it. But when you probe that understanding, you find that they, they don't really understand it. You know? So you can go to a very nice lecture, entertaining, engaging lecture, very well structured. And both students and teachers could tell you, could, could leave with the impression that this was a good lecture. Yes. When you probe understanding, students just don't understand that deeply. So how is it that, like, why does that happen? And I think that's one of the questions that drove my doctoral work. And I began to realize that one of the main reasons why that happens is we are starting off from the, with the wrong assumption. Um, and this goes back to what I initially said, you know, the, when you're about to learn something new, uh, the intuitive traditional way is to tell you exactly what it is, but it misses the point that you are ready to learn. And what we need to do is not to start by telling people exactly what to do, but to first engage them in activities where they fail and then tell them uh, in the, you know, uh, what the correct concepts and understandings are. And I think that's how it just just start together. I didn't even start calling productive failure until towards the very end of my doctoral work. We used to play a little game called how can you describe your findings in the shortest uh, number of words, the smallest number of words possible. And I remember sitting in a, you know, a graduate, a group of graduate students we used to go out every Friday for the happy hour having 
um, at a bar and I was sitting there and it was my turn and it just suddenly came to me that, oh, well, maybe I should call it productive failure. <laughs> and so it was it's just very nonlinear. It's not something that, you know. Uh, Wonders can happen on Friday afternoon, uh, happy hours. There's no denying if, that. If right? not, yeah, yeah, if not for that, I don't think we'll make any progress. <laughs> now, uh, that, that links me to my question that I ask all my guests because our podcast is called Methoded Madness. Yeah. Um, in your trajectory, in your career, in your life, have you had a moment of madness that you you believed in something, you were convinced and everybody told you, what are you thinking? And now you look back and say, thank God I did that. I'm really happy I did that. Uh, a moment that you can call as madness, but you still had conviction in it. Well, I, I wanted to, like I said, I wanted to play football. I, I had a lot of conviction in it. And people were saying, well, maybe you're, you're a little mad. You know how it is you know, when you're in India, born in India. Yeah. I mean, and, if um, it was cricket, probably you would have still got some support. He, he, yeah, yeah. But even then, you know, like what percentage of cricketers actually of course. make? You know, that's just that's the law of numbers is just stacked against you. Absolutely. You know, um, but uh, yeah, so it was a bit of a maddening thing to do. And then I came to Singapore. I, you know, um, uh, but then I got injured and I couldn't do that. So that was just devastating. So basically a lot of my 20s were trying to figure out what next I could do. Um, I landed up in academia in the end. Um, and I think that the basic design, the basic idea of productive failure itself was a bit of madness because... Yeah it was very hard to publish those findings. You know, science operates very cautiously, proceeds very cautiously. One study doesn't change the entire theoretical architecture, right? I mean, people don't look at, oh, you did one study that shows some of one of our fun fundamental assumptions is wrong. Uh, well, maybe there was a problem with the study. Maybe there's a problem with the theory. You know, come back to us when you do this, 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 and this. You know, <laughs> so... If you don't stick to what you believe in, um, yes. and not just purely from a matter of opinion, but basically, you know, sticking to scientific theory and evidence that you've collected, um, that that allows you to, even if other scientists call you mad, <laughs> uh, there's a method uh, that science itself provides you with to stick to that madness. Um, and hopefully over time, uh, like I said, several people try to replicate and extend your work and um, you know, like I said, over the past 20 years, uh, to many, many PhDs in different labs around the world, not all mine, obviously. Um, you know, analysis, aggregate analysis shows that this was something mad that we stuck to, and it was a good thing. <laughs> because now the world is turning, yeah. Absolutely. I've I've also uh, listened to your TED talk, which I think is fantastic, by the way, your TEDx talk. Thanks. Very clear. And that also got me very, very interested in this topic. Mm -hmm. One last question, because um, I, I've, as I heard your TEDx and also talking to you now, mm -hmm. um, I feel very, very convinced that how this can help. Um, if the, uh, leaders and, uh, uh, you know, entrepreneurs and who are listening to this, um, how would you tell them to create that safe environment so that they can also embrace productive failure in their organization so that they can innovate, they can uh, transform and they can grow further? Well, it's about taking, it's about pushing boundaries, you know, so let me give, make, it, make it more concrete. You know, sometimes I go, with, you know, I, have to do, I go to these evaluations, advisory board, 
uh, you know, setups where I go into institution and I look at how innovative, how creative and, uh, the, the processes and projects are. And if I go to a research lab and they say, oh, we have 10 research projects and all 10 of them are really very successful, you know, then I would really immediately a bell will start to ring and say, oh, okay, maybe it's not pushing the boundaries enough. Uh, you know, so to me, failure is not the silly kind of failure, but if you if you are engaging in a number of projects and you're actually really pushing the boundaries and you're really exploring, then chances are your success rates are going to be low. Not because you're incompetent, not because you're stupid and so on and so forth, but just because you're dealing with challenging, uncertain tasks. And that tells me indirectly, uh, if I see it in an organization, um, that this organization has created a space, a value system, an ethos to take on challenging tasks, to take to push the boundaries, and then accepting that when when you actually go out and do those things, that not everything, in fact, most things will not be successful, but that that failure is going to help you move forward as an organization. And I think that's what I look at. So really, turning failure into an indicator of success is uh, is a hard thing to do, but that's what we need to do. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much, Manu. It was really a pleasure talking to you. And uh, and I hope we all failed, but we rise from those failures and bounce back, just like you said. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking to you. And, and thank you for joining Method in Madness. Thank you, sir. It was a pleasure. And that was yet another exciting episode of Method in Madness. In two weeks, I will be back with some new methods, some more failures, but lots more madness. Till then, stay mad, because trust me, that's the best way to live.